0: Hey, FOMO Sapiens, happy holidays. So given that it is the end of the year, I am running a best of, and it is a doozy. It's one of my faves. It's Daniel Ryan, the hypnotherapist. And I love Daniel Ryan. I'm just gonna put that out there. I think he's amazing. And I've been to him now mm, a couple of times, three times maybe for different things. And I just, I think that this hypnotherapy stuff, at least for me, really works. And I've sent a ton of people to him, actually. like Even people who are on the show, and I've sent people to do it uh, a hypnotherapy with him online on Zoom. So anyway, I hear back from all these people. They really feel like it helps them. And so, you know, I'm not the head of business development for Daniel Ryan Inc., but I feel like I should be because I'm just a believer in his work. And I wanted to highlight his work again because as you heard on Mondays for Mondays, I just think it's really powerful and personally impactful for me. So listen to this episode with an open mind. I know it's easy to think like, oh, this is really crazy stuff. It's not that crazy. You know, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty inside the box, but listen to it. Consider if it's right for you. Go find a hypnotherapist. You know, it's better than taking a pill and uh, have a wonderful, wonderful end of the year and New Year's, and we will see you in season nine in 2023. Take care of yourself, FOMO sapiens.
1: FOMO. You know, just addressing the misrepresentations in film and television. It's not media's responsibility to accurately depict hypnosis, but that's why we're confused, man. It's, it is, if we can just marvel together at how dramatized and crazy a lot of the stuff we see is around hypnosis, it would make sense that there'd be a lot of skepticism. So I'm always, always empathetic and open to people's skepticism.
0: That's Daniel Ryan, a Brooklyn-based hypnotherapist. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis. And this is FOMO Sapiens. When the world's spinning out of control, it can be impossible to know what to do and what to miss out on. That's called FOMO, which is short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term, and I'm the world's first FOMologist. And this is the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers, people I call FOMO Sapiens, how they live and work with conviction no matter what life throws at them. FOMO. Hey, everybody, welcome back to FOMO Sapiens. I hope you are doing well today. I have a really cool episode in store because I'm gonna be talking about, I think one of the cooler things I have done in my life, and that was being hypnotized, not the old college stage hypnotist. I remember that and seeing that and thinking I would never let anybody make me flap my wings or do something really embarrassing in public. And so I had a lot of fear of hypnotism, to be honest. I thought you don't wanna go in a room with a stranger and not have control over, over what happens to you. But I was convinced to try it. I gave it a try and I loved it. And more recently, I tried a new hypnotist. And this was somebody who was recommended to me. I was with my friend Anu Dougal, who has been on the show before. Many of you know who she is. And she told me about a company she invested in called Kensho. And the founder, uh, one of the founders is Danny Steiner. And she connected me to Danny. And I wanted to try hypnotism uh, at that time with somebody totally different. And so I talked to him and he said, listen, you know, our business Ken show is all about helping you find people like that. And I have this guy called Daniel in New York, go see him. I went to see him and it was amazing. And I had such a positive experience. I started telling everybody about it. And I will tell you that it was very polarizing. You know, people think of hypnotism in many different ways. And I actually just started telling people my experience. Just really positive. You just sort of go to a different place, kind of a different alternate reality. If you have something you're trying to work through, like stress or a bad habit, it can be very powerful in rewiring your brain. I recommended friends of mine who went to deal with things like maybe stress or having had a bad experience that they wanted to sort of work through uh, maybe a company failing or a bad professional experience or something personal, I got to tell you, people came back and said that it really helped. So I thought, why not shine a light on this why don't we get into it, talk about some of the reasons why people are skeptical and talk about what it means. And so that's why I invited Daniel Ryan here, because I think he's a very talented guy and I wanted him to shine a light on this Because he does this all the time. He understands how it works. And he talks about it like a normal person, which I think is really valuable. Now, Daniel maintains full-time private practice in Brooklyn, and he offers hypnosis, regression therapy, mindfulness programming for businesses, and meditation to individuals and groups. So he's very steeped in this, and you're going to find it fascinating. And I think what you're going to particularly enjoy, some of the takeaways, are just number one, what is this stuff, right? What happens when you're hypnotized? Also, why do people feel so strongly and skeptical? Why do people, you know, sort of have these emotions when you talk about it? That they're just like, what is that? I, and I've gotten that a million times. People think it's like I'm I'm kind of like this really crazy, hippie, new agey guy, which I'm not particularly. Um, I just like things that are different and I like to experiment. And frankly, you know, why not try something where you can you can address a problem without having to take a pill, right? There's no pill. There's no side effects. And the other thing is, I think it's good that maybe if you've been curious, maybe you figure out if this is something you want to explore. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. All right. So we're going to talk about all that and more. But before we do, I do have my small ask of the week for you. Consider sharing this episode on Instagram as a story or as a post and tagging me at Patrick J. McGinnis. Thank you so much. That is all small ask. Finally, we're getting to the interview. So as I mentioned, I'd been to Daniel, I thought it was pretty amazing. And so what I wanted to do was just kind of lay out the basics. So I started our conversation by asking Daniel to tell us, what exactly happens when you're hypnotized?
1: Thank you for your question, Patrick. Uh, The experience of being hypnotized is a little bit different for everybody. And the first thing we need to get really back in touch with, it's a reminder more than anything else, is trance states are common and naturally occurring the screens we stare at our phones good conversations anxiety and stress themselves all of these things are trance inducing substances so trance not unlike meditation is a common and naturally occurring part of having a mind and paying attention so first off the Addressing, you know, just briefly the 150 years of bad PR of hypnosis up front, one of the sillier kind of misconceptions easy uh, to begin with is that the hypnotist puts trance in and out of things that, you know, the hypnotist has this special power to activate or deactivate trance when in fact there's a already pre-existing flow that we're getting in touch with and getting acquainted with in the process and using to our advantage to some end, to sur- to relief, really, to you know, healing, of course, if it's the case of hypnotherapy. So to give you an example of one of my sessions, my sessions are generally 60 to 75 minutes long. The first half of the session is spent in conversation. My first question is always, how can I help you? If it's a first session, we're getting to know each other or following up if it's a second session. And then the second half of the session is the practical portion where we're engaged in an experience that looks a great deal like meditation with a specific goal and a great deal of technique, but we may even more accurately consider a brain training in the positive psychology of how we want to feel during performance.
0: Yeah, and I've been in one of your sessions. So the reason I had you on is because I I experienced this and I, I I had a really positive experience. And so I've done hypnotherapy, I think, I think three times, uh, over the years. And it was one of those things that I was super skeptical about and was like, this is for, this is for, I don't even know, um, very, (laughs) very, um, susceptible people, but actually uh, that was not my experience. Now you, you mentioned this trance. We had Stephen Kotler on the show recently. He was talking about flow and when you were talking about trance, I was thinking about flow. Are those kind of similar in, in their nature?
1: In my opinion, yes. And you know, I am a great admirer of Stephen Kotler's work. And you know, I know that flow has some very specific definitions and very specific, um, yeah, just definitions and ways of understanding flow states depending on our context. So I don't want to co-opt or take any of that out of context. But in my understanding, Patrick, as a hypnotherapist. Yes, there's a great deal of overlap in a Venn diagram between certain kinds of trance states and certain kinds of flow states.
0: Okay, that's good to know. That's good context for people who maybe haven't, you know, experienced trance but they everybody's had felt that flow and so you can put that into context. Now, let's talk about, okay, so I think, again, there's a lot of misconceptions here. So, You know, show up at the office, and I, as I said, I've been through this. You, you sort of sit me down. You didn't even, like, lay me down. I not think I was sitting in a chair. You asked me to close my eyes, and then you mm-hmm. take me somewhere. And so how do you actually, it's not, it's not an easy thing to get somebody into a trance, I, I don't think, necessarily, but how do you actually get people into that state of being in, in that trance-like,
1: you know, state of mind? Well, for starters, you know, people come to see me, so I'm not forcing anybody to do anything, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's a very important piece of the equation, my friend, very sincerely. It'd be a much creepier process if I were, you know, projecting this stuff onto other people. And I say this with respect to, you know, a lot of stage hypnotists and people I know who do that, who are fantastic showmen, but it's just a completely different process and experience than what happens in my office. And it's a bummer kind of that these things even have the same name because it is confusing, uh, that name being hypnosis, of course. So anyway, you know, if somebody comes to my office, as I mentioned before, my first question is always, how can I help you? I want to start getting a sense of what their goals are as quickly as possible, what progress would feel like for them, how they want to benefit in the time, what they want to essentially place our attention on and then using the, the skills I have, patterns of hypnotherapy and parts of the exercise that are kind of chained together. There's a, a unique and customized, ex- customized experience that's put together in the office there based on the person I'm sitting with, their vocabulary, their filters, their quote-unquote triggers as they have ex- explained them to me, and then, you know, we are in that practice, engaging with the subconscious the way hypnosis is uh, reputed to do. And again, in that brain training that I mentioned before, directing our attention towards their physiological relaxation, calm, confidence, ease, lightness, states like that.
0: Yeah. And what what we did, I remember, one of the things that I think is is a is a preconception that didn't come true for me anyways it's not like you you mentioned these 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 hypnotherapists or not therapists but these hypnotizing people who do these shows at
1: colleges stage hypnotists yeah yeah and you
0: see i remember you go and it's like all of a sudden your friend is like flapping their arms like a bird or something and they don't remember it right that was not my experience (laughs) i remember the whole thing I remember the way that you got me into it. You had me, like, there was an elevator. I was going down flights of stairs. And then eventually I got to this place where I was in a certain place. And I remember seeing these colors and, you know, you're sort of like with your subconscious. And then later on, you take me out of there. And and I remember the whole thing. And and so I always had a lot of cognitive dissonance because I had thought, okay, I'm not going to remember any of this and then all of a sudden you know i'll be back to normal or i'll be back sort of you know like a sentient human being walking around it's not <laughs> the case and so you know i think that that is um that's really interesting so is it typical then that a person will remember the whole experience or do people sometimes have that experience where they're completely out of it the whole time
1: well you know there's two things right away that come up for me one you know just addressing the misrepresentations in film and television it's not media's responsibility to accurately depict hypnosis, but that's why we're confused, man. It's it is, If we can just marvel together at how dramatized and crazy a lot of the stuff we see is around hypnosis, it would make sense that there'd be a lot of skepticism. So I'm always, always empathetic and open to people's skepticism. Then besides that, I really wish oftentimes that that wasn't there because at schools like Stanford, for instance, and guys like Dr. Heberman, who we could find online, uh, Dr. Mike Dow, who says, I like meditation, but I love hypnosis. There's actually a lot of really interesting characters and a lot of really cool research that know and understand hypnosis as meditation plus in this modern age that are using it in the way you experienced it, Patrick, that, you know, have that sense of, you know, I was kind of more conscious, not less conscious. And that was surprising to me. Um, so to answer your original question about people remembering it, it runs the gamut, man. You know, some people come away retaining a great deal of their experience and others, it's just a kind of flow of sensations and feelings. They feel it afterwards, but they don't retain much of it. And oftentimes, I, I it is case by case, but I really think it depends on the person and how much they need to carry with them.
0: The first time I ever did uh, hypnosis, I remember saying to the, the the therapist, well, that was great, but um, sorry, I was not hypnotized. And He said, yes, you were. And I said, how do you know? And there are certain indications you can see fluttering in mm. the eyes and, and other things. And And then he said, how long have you been here? And I said, well, it's been about 15 minutes and it had been like two hours. So clearly- mm. Clearly, I was hypnotized. I just didn't realize it and was skeptical even after the thing. But then I walked out of the office and I felt great the whole day. Now, um, tell us about, you know, the the kinds of things that you help people with and why people would seek you out.
1: Yeah. Anxiety relief, of course, is something I work with very often. And I really think that's just because uh, I'm in New York City, based in Manhattan, in the modern world where all of us are, you know working with anxiety in some form or another so primarily i would say i have worked with and addressed forms of anxiety relief stress relief symptoms of depression habit cessation uh habit change and uh, performance enhancement public speaking uh, discrete habits at home uh you know smoking and things like that are classics with hypnosis you know um so things like this come my way but uh i'm really i I love my work i'm one of those uh lucky sobs who's very uh fortunate to have found the right job for him and uh, the people that i work with and the stuff that i've been faced with has been as varied as new york city could present tell
0: us a story about uh, a a patient that you had obviously on a no-names basis but that you know where you you worked with them and you saw a dramatic change in their behavior
1: Well, one client that I think of very often uh, who came to me early on in my practice, she came for anxiety relief, and I believe at the time she was either in her late 30s or early 40s, and um, we started working together on kind of... uh, what showed up as, I'll just call it superficial anxiety. It wasn't superficial, but it was a presenting issue that was on the surface as she arrived, and, and that was what she wanted to talk about. And after very little conversation, really, we started talking about something terrible that had happened before that, where her son had passed away uh, tragically and very young, and that that grief, which is probably always unresolved, uh, was perpetuating a lot of this feeling for her and and really just sitting in the background um, not very far. So what ended up happening, Patrick, and, and again, this was just the kind of thing that's totally unplanned. And you know, a, as a therapist or practitioner, I consider myself very lucky to have had experiences like this, where I then had the opportunity over time to work with her on this grief, working with hypnotherapy and certain forms of hypnotherapy that will allow us to address our spiritual questions and grief and and you know those kind of greater problems that any one of us can suddenly be faced with in life that you know where understanding and conventional reasoning often do break down and you know saw her just was you know really privileged and honored honored over years to see that grief evolve, to see acceptance emerge, to see her anxiety fall away and, and to see her really change in, in ways that were really special and beautiful. Uh, so, you know, it, uh, her story, which again is a longer story. This was years of work and hypnosis is a brief intervention. Usually, you know, I don't often work with people four years at a time. And this is probably why this one stays with me, but, uh, but yeah, that, that story and, and her particular story, uh, stay with me, as I said. <laughs> yeah. Pardon now you, myself.
0: I, I know a lot of people, you know, come to hypnotherapy to stop doing something like stop biting your nails, stop smoking. Right, right. Does it have to be all or nothing? Could you, for example, uh, go to a hypnotherapist and say, listen, I currently smoke a pack a day, but I only want to have three cigarettes. Or is it that you have to s- completely give something up? How, how does that work?
1: That's a fine question, brother. I have a similar question. You know, we're getting into abstinence-based recovery uh, with that question right there. And I think there's that larger issue of, you know, is abstinence-based recovery right for every person in every situation? And, you know, again, I do believe things to be case by case and I don't want to strip away any nuance or subtlety. Uh, So that's it's a tough one and i would ask the person coming to see me you know i mean again any habit cessation that comes into my office some of the first questions and quote unquote checks i'm doing is does this person really want to stop you know is this person coming to me so i can do some hypnosis amnesia magic on them and make them forget this thing ever existed or you know do they want to actually make a change in their life that would genuinely be positive for their health and their well-being. That we could perhaps hook into energetically and kind of draw forward.
0: It's funny as I listen to you talk, I feel like I'm getting hypnotized, and I'm wondering you have the perfect <laughs> voice for this. By the way, anybody Thanks, who's man. listening right now, if you're if you're feeling it too, um, <laughs> you let me know. And what I'm wondering is, besides having a great voice for this, <laughs> how did you get into this line
1: of work? So hypnosis is the family business, actually. I don't know if you and I ever had the <laughs> chance to talk about this. My, I don't father, think so. my father, Jeffrey Ryan, was a hypnotherapist and a regression therapist who maintained private practice in Morris County, New Jersey from the early 80s until his passing in 2011. And I was, I was introduced to these subjects as a young guy and grew up around this stuff and was really drawn to it. In fact, hypnotherapy was the first thing that helped me relieve stress as a teenager and as a young person. So I I was acquainted with and introduced to the benefits early on. And then my dad was trained by the U.S. military in hypnosis in the late 1950s when they were doing all kinds of spooky stuff. And, um, you know, thankfully, I don't think he was involved in too much of that but he was offering hypnosis as counseling to veterans who were coming back from, uh, I believe, Korea and just, you know, experience with, uh, or around trauma or on the front lines. So, so he was on the front lines, really, of the applications of hypnosis in a scientific and healing manner.
0: And so then you, you, you grew up around this, right? I did. How did you learn? Where do
1: you go to learn this skill? That's another good question. <laughs> because again, there's, you know, it's not really a major that you can take in most places. And, you know, I know a ton of great psychotherapists and psychoanalysts and psychiatrists, but that was never what I wanted to be particularly. So first off, I, again, I just had the good fortune of a being born into this family where this thing was, and then B actually being drawn to it enough to want to do it as a career. And then outside of that, I did have, I was surrounded by teachers and practitioners at a young age. As a teenager, Patrick, it was so useful to be kind of skeptical and sarcastic in the 1990s and be raised on all of that stuff because it, just my radar for spotting falseness or you know, big egos amongst therapists and guys that were essentially peddling snake oil, which, of course, there is too much of in, hum- in hypnosis. Uh, it really sharpened my ability to hear that stuff, to sense those characters right away and to filter out genuine good people and good trainings. So, you know, I'll just shout out now my friend and mentor, Melissa Tears, who's based in New York City here. I worked with her at the Center for Integrative Hypnosis from 2014 to 2020. And she is she's one of the, the most dynamite trainers out there right now. And you can just work with her one-on-one. A lot of her stuff is available online. And Melissa is a perfect example. There's It's splintered, to answer your question, Patrick. You know, like we could go to Stanford and certain pockets in the universities where this stuff is being focused on if we're fortunate enough to get there, you know, but, uh, but other than that, you have to kind of hunt down these, these awesome people that are available in training and doing things on a smaller scale. Why do you think people are so skeptical?
0: Because you just told me your dad is, it's an insane story that, you know, he was trained by the military. So clearly smart people, powerful people believe that this has power. But I had like a dinner parties. If I told somebody this, which I have done because I think it's really cool. And I think that like, why not try something? It's not like you're taking some drug that's going to hurt you. You're just doing something that is, I mean, there's like, where's the downside? But people look at me like I'm a crazy man, which I, I would like to think I am not. And so I want to know like why the skepticism
1: I I often say at dinner parties, when I tell people that I'm a hypnotherapist, half the room leans forward and the other half leans back, and (laughs) and usually for the wrong reasons, you know, usually for reasons that who knows why. Uh, So I I think it does have a lot to do with just that representation. You know, I just rewatched for the first time. Have you ever seen Manchurian Candidate?
0: Uh, I mean, I know what it is. I have not seen it.
1: The original Manchurian Candidate from 1962, the Frank Sinatra version, is incredible. It is so timely to this moment. It's kind of fun and kitschy for other reasons. It's an old movie, of course. But, uh, you know, in that movie, these veterans are literally brainwashed and hypnotized by the government to do awful, terrible things. And this was in the 1960s. And here we are in 2021. Talking about indoctrination and mass hypnosis in politics and government on a very very large scale in different ways, but this story couldn't, couldn't be more applicable to our modern age. I just give that one example: Manchurian Candidate. This movie with Sinatra from 1962, where hypnosis is just scary, man. You know they just they, they never show it. It's good filmmaking too, because like the, uh, the shark in Jaws, they don't really show it. They just show the horrible effects of it. So hypnosis has been portrayed as as much a weapon of mind control as it has a therapy or anything else. So, again, this is why I say it's it's not people's fault if they're confused. All these representations are so dissonant and confusing. Um, So, yeah, it's it's a long it would have to be a long answer to your question, man, but it's another good one. And uh, it bums me out for multiple reasons.
0: Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I think it is personally. Please, I think it's about ceding control, and if you if you're fearful that somebody can make you do things you don't want to do, which, which, uh, which is you know the way it's portrayed. Then yep. ceding control to somebody else is really scary. And I also think that it's like one of these things, like meditation now has become widely accepted, right? But 10 years ago, I remember my my brother meditated and I was just like, wow, that guy is really out there. I mean, what is he gonna do? Join a commune next, which by the way, maybe he will. And if he wants to, I support that. But I do think that uh <laughs> that's what's happening and what happens and why I wanted to have you on the show is I'm not here to to, to hitch for for hypnotherapy for everybody it may not be right for you but i will say Indeed. keep an open mind because the experience that i had was really positive i well basically well i'll tell you one thing when you get hypnotized you feel great the rest of the day it's like i, I remember i left your office and i went to a chick-fil-a which i'd never been to mm-hmm. and i probably won't go again because it's not very healthy but it was the best sandwich i ever had it just like everything felt amazing and so mm-hmm. um i think being open-minded about these kinds of things Especially something where again, it's not like you're ingesting something. I'm not, you know, telling you to go like, you know, take some, you know, illegal drug, which would be a bad thing to do. Um, it, it can be really positive. Now, I do want to shift gears here because you have another, and uh, you have another feather in your cap, another uh, um, arrow in your in, in your bow, as it you're were, which, which is, yeah, exactly, which is something that is, I think, people would find slightly, you know, even more, um, maybe outside of their spectrum of what they what they do and believe in, which is you do past life regression. Mm-hmm. And that's one that I have not done. And, and frankly, I find that like a little bit intimidating. So talk about that. What is that about, you know, why, why do people come to you for that sort of therapy?
1: Mm-hmm. So past life regression, you know, first I just wanna emphasize is not a very good tool for proving or disproving the afterlife. You know, it is, uh, fascinating experience and often a very healing therapeutic experience where we can explore what are very clearly from a certain point of view metaphorical explorations of patterns of behavior things that we're experiencing in the present relationships challenges joys and this metaphorical understanding points to the same symbolic reasoning we use in decoding and interpreting dreams or interpreting works of art or, you know, talking about great books or myths or things like that. So past life regression itself as an experience, you know, I, again, invite all skepticism and I'm the last person who's going to say these are definitely past lifetimes we're exploring. In fact, I'm quite certain the, the playing field is much larger than that. And, you know, I don't think pinning the butterfly to the page is even exactly what we want to do. Uh, and with that, past life regression is this beautiful experience where we can explore our spiritual questions. And again, kind of point towards the possibilities of what happens maybe before we arrive and after we leave. And again, exploring genetic memory and family systems and the deeper kind of more uh, existential, certainly, and metaphysical questions that we have. So, you know, (laughs) Patrick, I have buddies who are doctors who have looked at me and been like, past life regression. Are you sure? you want to do that? Are you sure? You know, which I appreciate. But again, there are so few things that will, will help us with our metaphysical stuff. So for me, that's why, of course, I'm going to do this. I wouldn't take that off the table because we all have that eventually.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, you can all or you can already see the movie plot. I'm sure it's been made where, like, somebody does this, and all of a sudden they, they come back, and then they're past Like, th- they were a murderer, and then there's a ghost that stalks him and all sorts of stuff, so people <laughs> are afraid of it. I can see it now. I, maybe I'll write the film. Now, there's, I,
1: yeah, <laughs> what? yeah, there's a couple. There's Dead Again with Kenneth Branagh. There's Stir of Echoes with Kevin Bacon. There's some good, kitschy stuff out there.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I will not be watching those. Now, I'm curious— <laughs> We so you might have heard we've been in this pandemic thing, and I'm curious: uh, can you do your work via Zoom, or do you have to be in the yes. room?
1: Yeah. Wow. Th- Thankfully, we don't really lose anything going to virtual. Like everybody else, I'm tired of the screens, so I have screen fatigue, like just you know the rest of the world has. And as long as we have good audio and video, a stable connection, as long as we both have privacy, comfort and you know can hear and see each other well we really do have everything we need for a successful session and then besides that we don't have to travel we do have all the convenience of being home so it, as long as those things are in place we can have a very very productive session sometimes more so than we would have had in person it doesn't replace the in-person experience of course there's a trade-off but uh, but it it will work just fine i'm glad to say
0: all right. So Daniel, if people are interested in trying it, now that we know you can do it over Zoom, you can head over to danielryancrt.com or on Instagram, Daniel CRT, And you have a podcast as well. Uh, and you also have some music. So, you know, this is a man who does many things. He, I just read on your Instagram, you you scored a film. So you're a true Homo sapiens which is what, one of the things I love about you. So, um, so anyway, hopefully we, we open some minds today. And if not, um, at the very least, go check out the Manchurian candidate, uh, Daniel Ryan.
1: Thanks a lot for being here. Thanks so much, Patrick. Appreciate it. FOMO.
0: Big news. We now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. Also, head over to Spotify where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrom. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO